Well, good morning, church. Um, excited to have the opportunity to be able to preach today. Um, if you can't tell, I'm not Pastor Noel, so uh, a little bit of a change up here. Um, I'll introduce myself. I, I figure most people in here are going to know who I am, but just want to provide a brief introduction. My name is Hunter Fountain. I'm the youth minister here at First Baptist. I've been here for a little over two years, pouring into the life of our youth. My wife is up front. Uh, we have two kids, Brantley and Emmeline. They give me a run for my money, but they're amazing, and I love getting to spend time with them. Uh, and if you get to meet them, they're amazing too. Um, Pastor Noel asked me to speak, and I was, I was thrilled. Uh, I get the opportunity, uh, alongside my interns and other people throughout the church, uh, to be able to speak to our youth on Wednesday nights. Uh, I love getting to do that. That's amazing. I really enjoy that, but there's something special about getting the opportunity to come in front of the congregation as a whole to present God's word and to walk through what the Lord is speaking to me um, and hopefully it imparts something into your life. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the heads up up front. This message is something that speaks deeply to me, um, a life centered on celebration um, and, and what it looks like to celebrate what the Lord is doing in and around you. I'm gonna go ahead and apologize to my youth and interns up front. I talk about this all the time um, because I think it's important. I think it's an important value and discipline for us to have in the Christian faith. So they're gonna hear a lot of the same stuff that I say because I think it's that important. But I wanted to be able to share that today. Um, question that I want you to ponder up front. How many of us in this room, somebody tells you something or an event happens in your life and your mind races to the worst possible outcome possible in that situation? Maybe, maybe somebody says something that, 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 that just brings you to that point or an event that happens. I want to share an example. Now, I want to go ahead and offer up front. I asked my wife if I could share this example. This is going to sound like I'm throwing her under the bus. I totally am not. But this is just an example of what I mean by that. So uh, me and Mackenzie started dating probably around 2015. Uh, we were pretty early on in our relationship um, and one of the dates that we enjoyed doing was just driving around Nacogdoches, driving around the loop, and talking about life. So we decided on this date in particular that we were going to talk about previous relationships that we had. Why I thought that was a good idea that early on in our relationship, I still don't know. But that's what we decided to do. We were going to talk about previous relationships that we had had and stuff like that. So Mackenzie had been in a long-term relationship before, prior to me. Um, Church, I had not. I had not been in a long-term relationship. As a matter of fact, I claim Mackenzie is the first girl that I ever dated. Um, unless you count seventh grade Hunter, who, you know, would date a girl for a week, we would break up, date again. I don't count that. And I know you showed up to hear my love life this morning, but that's, that's not what we're going to go through. So I started talking about that, and I started talking about college interest, of how, there, in particular, there was this girl, whenever I was in college ministry, that I started to have feelings for, started to like. Um, we were at that point to where it seemed as if that was the direction we were going to go. And she said, Hunter, I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to go be a missionary. I'm leaving pretty quickly. I said, all right, Lord, door shut. We're done there. Like, that's, that's not a thing anymore. I mean, she's, she's going overseas. Obviously, this is done. And she was, she's happily married. She's, she's got kids. It's great. So I tell that story to Mackenzie and for a little bit longer into the date, you can just see that she has shut down. And I couldn't get a gauge why. I'm just like, you know, and honestly, church, it took me a whole lot longer than I'm proud of to ask her what was wrong. But I finally looked at her and I said, Mackenzie, what's up? Like, what's happening here? She said, well, well do you still like her? <laughs> I said, Kenzie, <laughs> she's married. 
I'm on a date with you. No, I don't like her. I'm here with you. I, I, I've chosen you. you. You're who I want to be with. So for my wife in that moment, what she heard was Hunter liked a girl, and her mind jumped to the worst possible situation. Well, he still likes her. He still cares for that girl. When in reality, that wasn't the truth at all. If anything, we were just sharing previous relationships. I think many of us are geared in the same way. Somebody presents something to us or a certain situation happens and we jump to the worst possible outcome that we can imagine. I know I do it all the time. And I think oftentimes we do that, and me and Mackenzie have talked about this before, if we imagine the worst, then we can't be let down, right? If I already imagine the worst possible outcome, then how can I be disappointed? And I think what happens is, and I've noticed this in my life, is that when I carry that mentality, when I carry that posture and that mind of thinking, it begins to bleed over into my relationship with the Lord. And I begin to not give him the credit and the honor and the fame due his name because I'm limiting him in my own self-belief. I look at the Father and maybe he hasn't answered a prayer in my timeline. Maybe he hasn't. Um, maybe something took place. I lost a family member and I'm questioning why he did what he did. I, whatever it may be. I jump to the worst possible outcome and for some reason I imagine that the Lord has taken his hand off my life and he's left me out to dry, which is not the truth of the gospel. It's not the truth of the character of who our Lord is. So what my hope is today um, is that we would walk through, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 111. That's what we're going to be walking through today. My hope is, is that I would encourage us as a congregation, firstly, to celebrate what the Lord is doing, to constantly be looking for it, and to allow it to push us forward in ministry, to push us forward in our walk with the Lord, that if we're conscious of what he's doing, that we're going to be able to walk in confidence as to what he's going to do. He's been faithful before, he will be faithful again. I'll steal what Mark said last week at Family Sunday School. I think what happens when we carry this mindset is we put up these spiritual blinders and it prevents us from hunting the good. It prevents our ability to do that. Church, if you hear me say nothing else today, hear me say this. Our God is moving. He's moving all around us. Your circumstances don't define his ability to be moving. Our God is at work. I think the question is, is are we going to look up and see him moving around us? So let's read. We're going to read verse 1. We'll just start there. Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. We'll stop right there. I love how the psalmist opens up with the word hallelujah. And if you, if you actually look to the next two chapters, Psalm 112 and 113, it opens up with the exact same word. So there's significance here. Of, of, uh, it's a, these are hymns of praise. Um, hallelujah is defined as God be praised. So if you look at this, this section, it says, God be praised, I will praise the Lord. The psalmist understood that we are able to praise the Lord regardless of the circumstances that we may go, be going through. Praise the Lord that that's the case, right? That our circumstances don't define our ability to praise God because God is good. His goodness doesn't fade because our circumstances are poor. He is still good. But notice how it ends this, this verse. Hallelujah, I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright 
and in the congregation. Notice that the psalmist doesn't praise the Lord in isolation, but he praises the Lord in the assembly and in the congregation. There's this concept of congregational worship or or, or living life together in community that you see played out here in this passage. Look, that's not negating your personal devotion to the Lord. Church, we need to have that. We need to have that one-on-one time where we're in devotion with the Lord, in communion with Him, in discussion with Him, allowing Him to invest into our lives. But church, this lone wolf mentality of, of, of Christianity is not biblical. We are meant to do this together as a community of believers. We're not meant to do this in isolation. Probably the most popular and quoted passage that talks about true biblical community and living in it is found out of Acts chapter 2. We'll put it on the screen, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The point of context that we get in this section of Scripture is this is the, be- the beginning and the formation of the early church. And we see this church is growing like wildfire, right? It says that the Lord added to their number daily. Why did the Lord add to their number daily? Because they were living in community and what people saw, it was contagious. They had to be a part of that. That was the only thing that made sense was to be a part of that. And church, when we begin to walk in that same posture, it becomes contagious. People want to be around it. They want to be surrounded by community that is praising the Father. If you'll humor me for one moment, this isn't me trying to brag about myself, but this is an opportunity for me to brag upon my youth. I get the platform. I get to say what I want about that. But church, the Lord is doing something really, really special within the life of our youth ministry. Um, And I'm not just saying that because I'm the youth pastor. I'm saying it because in my 10 years of ministry, I haven't seen anything like that type of community. I mean, these kids desire to be around each other. They desire to praise the Lord. It's contagious. It makes me want to follow the Lord in a greater way, the way they live their life. So if you want to see it played out, keep your eyes peeled and watch our youth over this next year. Church, I'm telling you this now, something cool is going to happen. I'm not saying that because of myself. I'm saying it because I'm watching it happen firsthand. That's true biblical community, and it's fun to watch and to experience. We are meant to praise the Lord as the community of believers. We'll continue on, verses 2 through 6. It says, The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has provided food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works by giving them the inheritance of the nations. Words used in this section of scripture to describe the works of the Lord. I want to read them off. Great, splendid, wondrous, majestic, gracious. He opens up this passage almost celebrating what the Lord is doing. 
But he also opens up saying that if we, we, do, we need to delight, to delight in the Lord. Um, to, to delight in something is not hypothetical, it's an experiential thing. Like in order for you to delight in something, you need to partake in that object. So for instance, if I put this piece of cake in front of me, that I've never had before, but I just brag about how good it is because I've looked at it and seen it, doesn't mean anything, right? If I've never tried the cake, I can't, I, I wouldn't have experienced it. But to delight in something is for me to take a, a big bite of that cake and then to turn around and talk about how good it is because I've experienced it, I have delighted in its goodness. Church, when we look at delighting in the Lord, delighting in his works, We can't delight in his works if we're not experiencing it, if we're not pursuing the Lord. If we're missing that, we can't hypothetically delight in the works of the Lord. We have to be working together and observant of what he's doing around us, submitting to his lordship and watching him move around us. 11 verse 3, it says, his righteousness endures forever. Church, there's no end to God's perfect and holy standard. His standard of his perfection and his holiness is the same as it was prior to the creation of the earth till right now until the last day that I draw my last breath in any of us in this room. And praise the Lord, that's the case. Because we live in a world where standards change all the time. But our God and his perfect holy standard remains the same. You look in verse 4, it says that, it says that, the same understanding and verbiage that is used in verse 4 is also found out of the book of Exodus. We'll put it up on the screen, but Exodus 34 verse 6 says, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. I'll read exactly what I put here. It says, Here the psalmist is reminding his readers about what some of these works are which again lead to a greater understanding of who our Father is. He challenges us to be mindful or to remember the works of the Lord. This word remember here is is associated with the word memorial, which we do memorials and things like that to to remember certain events or or things in our lives, right? I know for me there's a a song. It's, It's called Well Done, by the afters. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard it before. It's a popular Christian song. Um, that song has a special place in my heart, and here's why. Um, probably the most influential person in my life, as to me being up here today and being who I am today, is my stepmom's mom. She, that woman is, is the person that, that brought me to church, that believed in me, that affirmed my call to ministry for the first time, I would not be here today if it wasn't for, for that woman. She changed my life. Um, she passed away about four or five years ago. Um, she had dementia. She passed away. And we were at the funeral, and they had uh, the video up where you're showing pictures of family members or pictures of her, and the song in the background was well done. Um, and church, I, it, I was emotional in that moment. I get emotional whenever I hear it today. Uh, Mackenzie would affirm it like we'll be in the car and we'll be driving and we'll be middle of conversation and if that song comes on the radio we stop because in that moment it's a reminder of the faithfulness of my grandmother and the impact she had on my life we have we need to carry those same memorials in remembering 
the works of the Lord and who he is, his goodness. Look, as children of God, we're not meant to live in the past. I'm not telling you that you're, you're meant to live in the past. That's not the case. But the past can be something that leads us to walk in greater confidence of what the Lord's going to do moving forward. You've seen him be faithful before. Church, you know he's going to be faithful again. That's the character of our God. Let's continue to read. Verses 7 through 9. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his instructions are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in truth and in uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe-inspiring. Warren Wearsby describes it from the works of God. It was an easy transition to the word of God. For it is God's word that holds all things together. It's easy to transition from the works of the Lord to the word of the Lord. Here's some of the words that are used to describe the word of the Lord in this section. It says trustworthy. It is, it's established forever. It enacts truth and it enacts uprightness. The word of the Lord is reliable. It doesn't change. It doesn't fade over time. It, it's, its significance in our life does not fade over time. And praise the Lord, that's the case. It is constant. Its truth is just as much prevalent today as it was when it was written. And church, that's not something that, that, that plays forward in our life in a lot of areas. I'm going to throw myself under the bus but because um, I, I love to do that. So we went to camp two weeks ago. And um, y'all are going to make fun of me, and that's fine. I really don't care. So we're sitting out there, and we're out at the rec fields. And we're playing basketball, and we're playing volleyball, and that's great and all. But church, you know what I'm starting to realize? I'm not as good as I once was. <laughs> not that I was ever really good, not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not this pristine athlete. But I don't have what I used to. I was a little bit more winded. I was a little bit more tired. I woke up a little bit more sore in the morning because I'm I'm, I'm getting older, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to fade more and more as I age, right? But the word of the Lord remains the same. It's not in the same regard. It remains constant and it is just as prevalent as the moment that it was written. And our response to this is, are we going to be obedient to God's word? That's the response. If it's going to remain constant, are we going to be obedient to the word of the Lord? I love how he ends this section. He talks about he has sent redemption to his people. God seeks to redeem the broken and, and, and fractured relationship between God and man. And praise the Lord that that's the case. That we're not left out to dry, but that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are, we are redeemed. We are made right. We are reconciled to a perfect God that that fractured relationship is no longer fractured, but it's made right. Not by our own, our own ability. We are completely limited and cannot fix that. But through the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, that's the case. Last verse of this section, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. The concept of the fear of the Lord is talked about a lot throughout Proverbs. If you've read throughout Proverbs, you've probably heard it. It's mentioned multiple times. The verse I'll put up there, Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
The word fear here is defined as reverential awe. So I also, you know, whenever I find those definitions, one of the things I like to do is to replace that in the verse that, that we just read. So if we go back to, to Psalm 111, verse 10, the reverential awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What do I take from that? In order to know who the Lord is and to obtain wisdom that we all desperately desire, we need to first stand in awe of who he is, what he has done, and we need to submit to him. And that's how we are ever able to obtain wisdom. I mean, again, I'm very particular on wording. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That connotates that wisdom cannot be understood or fathomed without the fear of the Lord. If we don't have the fear of the Lord, we're not gonna get wisdom. We can't expect to get wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning process that we have to partake in. Wearsby put it well. He defined it, he said, it is not the slavish fear of a criminal before a judge, but the loving and reverential fear of a child for his or her parents. Church, we are meant to fear the Lord. I don't know about you, but as I, as I read through Psalm 111, it's just a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of praise of who the Lord is, what he has done, and it challenges us to move forward. So what do we take away from this? What can be our practical um, application points that we can take away um, from this passage of Scripture? I have three because I think that's the right number. Um, we're going to go through them. The first one being, very simply, our God is, con- is consistent. As seen throughout this passage, our God does not change. He doesn't age over time. He hasn't lost a step. He's the same God, and he's still at work around us. I know for me, I'll I'll let you uh, know a little bit about my story of coming to be a follower of Christ because I think this speaks into it. Um, So uh, I, church was not a high priority for me growing up. It just wasn't. Um, I went to church with my dad every once in a while, um, and I I don't want to act as if we didn't go to church. It just wasn't a priority for me. Um, I went to church with my dad, and the fondest memories I have um, is I would fall asleep in the back while he was working the sound booth, um, and he would have to kick me and wake me up because I was snoring near the service. Not proud of that, but that's what I remember about church with my dad growing up. With my mom, we went to a Catholic church. Um, Honestly, I don't remember much, um, but I remember that my youngest sister would get in trouble, and if she got in trouble... That meant that we got to leave early. So that was always fun. I I got to leave a little bit early and eat some food. I was always up for that. Like I said, my mindset was not in the right place. Y'all are aware of that. But church just wasn't a priority for me. And a lot of that being I didn't trust people. And that's still a major part of my ministry today that is probably my biggest struggle. I just, I I failed to trust the people around me. Um, Part of that being I grew up in a family of divorce. Um, Many in this room have potentially experienced that before. Uh, My parents divorced whenever I was four years old. Um, A little bit further for me, my mom got remarried um, two more times after that um, and divorced as well. Um, And there was this constant theme that that I remember growing up, a part of the reason I am who I am. Um, You would have these these guys enter the picture and say, Hunter, um, I love your mom. I want to take care of your family. I want to marry your mom. Do you trust me? Well, church, as a kid, absolutely. I want somebody to care for my mom. Like, that's, that's important to me. I want my mom to be cared for, and then that trust would be broken. 
And I just, I struggled to trust people. I was a homebody. Going and staying the night at friend's house, that was not a thing for me. I would rather be at home because those are the people I could trust. So my seventh grade year, my dad forced me to go uh, to a youth camp in Missouri. It was a good 16 hours away. I cried the night before. I didn't want to go, but he made me go. And the Lord changed my life. Um, I finally uh, met this Jesus that had been so much talked about. And uh, honestly, um, if you know much about my ministry, probably one of the biggest things that I prioritize in my ministry is discipleship. And I'll explain why. So that week ended, and I probably would have been that kid that left camp and had what they call a camp high, where you experience the Lord, and then you get back to reality, and it all fades away. But we had a youth intern that was there. Um, He was a sophomore at Baylor University. His name was Jacob Moore. Um, Jacob came up to me, and um, he had known me for maybe five days. And he said, Hunter, I don't know much about you, um, but I want to disciple you. Would you, be, would you be interested in that? And to show my biblical illiteracy, I didn't know what a disciple was. Like you couldn't have, I, I, I didn't even know where to find that in the Bible. I, you could not have told me what that was. But my thought process was, man, if seventh grade Hunter gets to hang out with a college student, I'm gonna do that. And then over the process of that summer, I met with Jacob every week and we walked through scripture, we memorized it and it changed my life. And I finally realized Number one, there was a community of believers that I could trust. Not that they weren't going to fail me, but that they cared for me with the love of the gospel. But also that there was a God, (laughs) that he was going to be there with me through thick and thin. No matter what circumstances might have been thrown my way, my God was still the same. And he wasn't going to change. Praise the Lord, that's the case that he doesn't change. Hebrews 13, eight, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is still the same. Praise the Lord that this is true in a world where we change our mindsets every five minutes. And most of it out of ignorance, right? Like we just, <laughs> we change our mind because, you know, that can't, I, I, I know for me, I grew up probably the first 18 years of my life thinking sushi was disgusting. And then I actually tried it, and I was like, you know what? This is not bad. Y'all may judge me for that, and that's fine. But, church, we change our mind at the flip of a coin, but our God is still the same. It's not true of our Lord that he changes his mind. He hasn't faded. He is consistent. Secondly, celebration is a conscious decision. As mentioned earlier in my opening, many of us live this life imagining the worst possible situation in every outcome. And church, I know that's something that I have to fight on a daily basis. I have to fight that urge of of, of pursuing to celebrate what God is doing around me versus imagining the worst case situation. And I want to tell you a story. Um, I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable with y'all, just about my life and my wife's life. Um, I, I think that this illustrates this point well. So me and Mackenzie have been married um, six years, right? Good, got it right. Six years. I was nervous about that. So we've been married for six years, and uh, when we first got married, uh, we were both doing grad school. Um, so I was working at BSM. She was a teacher. We would be working all day, we would come home, we would eat dinner, and then we would immediately start working on our graduate school. Um, I was doing seminary at B.H. Carroll. Uh, Mackenzie got like two degrees. She was, she's, yeah, she's really smart. But um, 
I remember one of the classes I was taking two years into our marriage. I took eight-week courses, and one of the courses I took was about spiritual disciplines. Um, And my professor told us up front what we needed to do was to look at a list of spiritual disciplines in our life, choose one that we were unfamiliar with or never practiced, and to keep a journal about it for eight consecutive weeks every day. So I read over the list, and I saw celebration, and my first thought was, that's a joke. And then I said, okay, that's the one i got to practice. So for eight weeks, I had to practice celebration and keep a journal about what that experience was like. So a little bit more into the life of me and Mackenzie at that current point in season in our life is before the class started, we found out that we were pregnant. We found out we were pregnant, and we were really excited about the opportunity to have a child. We were really thrilled. Um, A little bit to know about our story, we miscarried. We miscarried um, halfway through that class. Church, I'll remember that moment for the rest of my life. That was probably one of the hardest things um, that that me and Mackenzie worked through in our marriage. Um, A lot of moments of frustration, not with each other, but with just questioning what the Lord's plan was and all of that. Just, it was hard. But super practical hunter, you know, we miscarried and I sit there and I think, Oh man, I've got to go write in a journal about what I'm celebrating for the day. And church, I'm going to be honest, in that moment I sat there and I thought, there is nothing to celebrate today. But church, that's just not true. Now, please hear me say, that doesn't mean that my circumstances still weren't poor. That doesn't mean that I wasn't upset. That was a hard thing for me. And, and I thank the Lord, many people in this church, um, many people um, at the BSM that, that counseled me and Mackenzie, um, so thankful for their investment into our lives. But um, it was hard. But God wasn't any less God because we miscarried. He wasn't any less faithful because we miscarried. It wasn't like God looked at my life and removed his hand for a moment and just let us out to dry. No, my God was still there and he was still moving. And I had to make the conscious decision to celebrate what the Lord was doing because he was still good. He was still moving around us. Church, that, that, that story may look different for each of us in this room. Many of us have things that go on in life that, that are hard whether you lose a spouse, um, you, you lose a child, wh- whatever that may be, even for our youth. I, I know this past year, my brother, his major um, breaking point or identity crisis was when he lost his spot as an outfielder on his baseball team. That was major to him. That, his life was defined by sports. So to, to lose that, he questioned his identity. And I told him the same thing that I came to the realization of when we miscarried. My God is still the same. And he still desperately loves you and cares for you. Doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. But it does mean that celebration is a conscious decision that we have to make. Philippians 1.6. It says, I am sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't stop this good work when everything seems to be going wrong. He's still moving around us. Last thing, last point. Mindfulness leads to confidence. 
I believe that when we celebrate what the Lord is doing and we are mindful of what he is doing in and around us, it allows us to walk in confidence that he's going to continue to be faithful. Because we've experienced the good of the Lord, we know that he is going to consistently be good. That is his character. He does not change. I'll never forget the moment that we brought Brantley home from the hospital. Um, We got home. We got to our apartment, and uh, he was in the car seat. And Mackenzie looked up, and she said, Hunter, I'm going to go outside. i got to go grab something. I'll be right back. So, okay. Soon as my wife exits the door, my son freaks out. He just starts screaming at me. And I looked at him, and my first thought was, where's the receipt? Where do I bring him back? (laughs) And I sat there and just thought, church, there's no way I can take care of this kid. There's no way. I'm so ill-equipped. He's crying, and I can't even understand him. But you know what? We made it. (laughs) Brantley's a pretty awesome kid. And, you know, there were a lot of moments throughout him growing up that I, we didn't know what we were doing and we were freaking out. So let's fast forward to Emmeline, my daughter. Church, I haven't figured out parenting. I don't want to act like I'm the mastermind of parenting. That is not the case. But I'm more confident in caring for my daughter because I've taken care of my son. Because I've experienced it before and because I've been I've, I've cared for a child. I know what that looks like. I can be a little bit more confident with, with my daughter. That doesn't mean that I don't inwardly freak out. I still do. But because I've done it before, I can walk in confidence. Verse 4 again says, He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The response of seeing the goodness of the Lord is that we walk in confidence. And that's, that's, that's prevalent in anything we do in life. That's not, just, um, that's not just within parenting. I mean, I'm a more confident driver now than I am the day that I pulled out of the parking lot at the age of 16 of the DMV. Way more confident. And that's the case, hopefully, for many of us. The more you do something, the more confident you are. The more we see the faithfulness of the Lord and the more that we open up our eyes and see what God is doing around us, the more we know, church, he is going to be faithful again. It allows us to walk in a greater confidence. A little bit about my ministry as I wrap up. Um, one of the things I do, and it probably seems redundant to my interns and to our youth, but every single Bible study that we do um, and every single intern meeting we do, the first thing we do is I ask them the question, what are you celebrating? And it may seem insensitive, you know, when you do it every single time, but here's my point in it. Church, I've got to, I've got to choose celebration. I've got to choose to see what God is doing in and around me. My natural instinct is to imagine the worst. It's to see the glass half empty. I'm geared that way. That's not how the Lord wants me to live, and I don't think it's how the Lord wants us to live. So my question for you is, will you choose a posture of celebration? I want to speak to two different crowds as I, as I wrap this up. Firstly, um, to those of us in this room that, that may not have a relationship with the Lord, I would be naive to stand here and think that every single person in this room has a relationship with the Lord. Um, if you have never experienced the goodness of the Lord, 
my hope, prayer, and desire is that you would confess him as Lord today. When we do the invitation in a minute, I want you to confess him as Lord. I think it's completely worth it. And you may sit there and say, okay, what has the Lord done for me? (laughs) He gave you life. Through the story of Jesus Christ that we were dead in our sin and separated from a perfect and holy God, God sent Jesus to this earth who lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he didn't just die because then he just would have been another good man. But he came back from the grave to defeat sin once and for all. That if we confess him as Lord, we may have a right relationship with the Father. We may be redeemed. If you have never experienced that truth before, when we have the invitation, I want you to come up here and I want to talk to you about that. Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with his heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with his mouth, resulting in salvation. Church, this is the greatest possible news that we can celebrate today, is that we have been redeemed. But to the believer, to those in this room that say, Hunter, I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm going to make it simple. What are you celebrating? What are you celebrating today? What are you celebrating what the Lord is doing in your life? And some of y'all may look at me and say, well, Hunter, I don't, I don't know what I'm celebrating. I'm gonna challenge you to open up your eyes and look around and see what the Lord is doing because he's working. The question is, is are we gonna have the eyes to see what he is doing in and around us? Church, let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for this time, thankful for who you are. Um, we're just thankful that, that we don't have to live life in, in frustration or in defeat, but God, that we can walk in victory. God, because you've already given us the victory. And Lord, let us just seek to celebrate what you are doing in and around us. Let us seek to honor your name in all that we do. And Lord, I pray that as we have this time of invitation, Lord, Lord, that we would respond, whether that be confessing you as Lord or just being mindful of what we are celebrating. Lord, if we need prayer, whatever it may be, Lord, let us respond to your word. We love you. Amen. Church, if you'll stand, we're going to have a time of invitation. Will you respond?